Hi, this is the Reverend Andrew Christensen. You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. We are a Christ-centered, reformationally-minded podcast that explores the history and theology of the Christian church. This podcast originally started as a forum for discussing the developmental history of Christian thought, what is often called historical theology. And it has since grown into an ecumenical team of hosts, myself, Stephen Burnett, Pastor Charlie Beeman, and the Reverend James Rickenbaker. We're all interested in the past, present, and future of the church. We share a commitment to the central place that grace has in the message of the good news, a message we feel often gets lost in our day and age, sometimes in religion itself. A message that is of God's goodwill toward us is echoed in the following words from St. Paul. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief one. I pray that the discussions in our episodes, whether casual or scholarly, can speak to how the story and witness of Christians from our past can comfort and strengthen us for today. God bless. Hi, everyone. Uh, Drew here. James here and Charlie's here. Drew's the one speaking at the moment, but um, we're back with our third in a series of uh, favorite hymns. Stephen couldn't join us today, but he'll be back for our fourth and uh, he'll do he'll do two for that one. Um, And so uh, we'll we'll get an extra longer uh, fourth episode. But so this one will be a little bit shorter. Um, and so uh, I guess we'll go ahead and take it away. I do want to do a quick check-in um, with everyone, because it's been a little while. It's probably been about six weeks since the last hymns episode. Um, so we'll definitely do a check-in. And of course, for listeners who um, I haven't put it out in a while, but uh, you know, uh, if you listen to us on uh, iTunes, or, or sorry, Apple Podcasts is what it's called now, or any other uh, streaming listening platform where you can give a rating, uh, like on Spotify, or give a review, uh, please do so. We'd like to hear what your thoughts on the show, uh, as well as, uh, you know, get uh, more ratings so that uh, the algorithms work that to, you know, boost the uh, show that it pops up in people's feeds, people with general interest in, you know, theology or whatever it is that um, that they listen to that can hopefully uh, um, they'll come across our show. It'll be on their radar. So um, uh, who wants to, yeah, Charlie, what's going on in your world? Well, I just had a, a very busy few weeks um, when I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago. Um, my organist was was dying and uh, got to visit her a few times before vacation. And then uh, the day after I got home, um, I visited her in the morning and she died in the afternoon and we had the funeral last weekend. And uh, um, having all of that happen while I was away made for a really crazy time when I got back. But uh, now that we're through Reformation Day and All Saints, I'm actually feeling like I can take a breath again and 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 get back uh some sense to focus but uh it's been a been a good couple of months but um this last bit has been really busy and you know difficult because um I've been here 10 years and I have never been closer to anybody uh in a parish uh, than I was to to Linda, my organist. So adjusting to her not being around is is no fun. But um, I know she's um, I know she's doing well. The hope of the resurrection. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm sorry about that. I know I 
it seemed uh i know we talk on facebook and you you were really broken up about her loss and so um sounds like a big loss to the to the parish and um and to you so very sorry to hear yeah um and uh james what's going on man uh not all that much um parish work has been has been pretty pretty steady um not all that not all that much to report on that front um but at home um our six-month-old has been going through a bit of a spurt where she's not um, sleeping all that well at night which of course is par for the course um so we're not sleeping all that well um and i had the opportunity uh, last week to go take a few days off and go to uh, my alma mater and my dad's alma mater were playing each other Appalachian State versus Coastal Carolina University went down to Myrtle Beach Conway specifically which is where my dad is from South Carolina and uh, got to watch his team beat my team and also be cursed at by a lot of Coastal's fans so awesome you and your dad both went yeah, yeah. So my dad has season tickets to the coastal game, uh, coastal coastal Carolina home games, and so I, I got to go. Uh, my mom uh, gave up her ticket. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say willingly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I I took her spot for that game. So, but it was a lot of fun. It was really fun to get to be with my dad and and get to hang out with him and um, go back to some of his old haunts from when he was a kid because. Um, that's his hometown. And so, um, got to see some of that stuff and see some people haven't seen in a while, see my aunt and uncle. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. I love moments like that. They don't, they're not, they're few and far in between, but yeah, it's awesome when they happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Steven texted, he said, uh, tell the dudes, Hey, so, <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm kind of a long day today. Um, but, uh, things are well, and of course, listeners who listened to the last podcast, of course, um, we, uh, there was the mention that I'm, yeah, starting a new, new call in, in, uh, in a few months. And so I'm actually taking the day off tomorrow to drive over, it's about an hour and a half away to the town where my, where I'll be starting as the rector at, of St. Michael's church in Lake Charles. So going there tomorrow to meet with the interim and the administrative assistant and uh you know just talk about um things happenings uh regular things that go on at the church and and what to look forward to so i'm i'm looking forward to that um as far as i, can, I don't know if anything out of the ordinary has uh i sold a car that felt good i guess it went to a high school girl it's her first car a 2015 nissan ultima car um because we got a new car uh nice. so, yeah and that you know uh facebook marketplace is good for selling things i've every time i've had to sell something it's always gone quick through facebook marketplace so. mm -hmm. yeah um so we will go ahead and uh i don't know who wants so James and I, for our listeners, we're actually doing the same hymn. So if he goes first, we're both going. Uh, but if Charlie goes first, then James and I will be after. So should I toss a coin for this one? Should we, well, should Charlie, we, why don't you go first, Charlie? Should we draw lots like the Holy the Holy Spirit? Or, uh... <laughs> I'd be happy to go first. <clears throat> go ahead, Charlie. So uh, my hymn is uh, God's Own Child, I Gladly Say It, which uh, is by Erdmann Neumeister. Um, and uh, he was a late 17th, early 18th century uh, Lutheran pastor. Um, why don't we why don't we listen to the tune?
Okay, so um, that is the tune. Um, this is a hymn that has not been used um, very frequently um, up until probably 20-ish years ago, a, a translation of this hymn appeared in uh, the Missouri Synod Hymnal Supplement 98 uh, and started to pick up popularity then. And uh, now it's in um, our main hymnal uh, Lutheran service book and has become a rather wildly popular. Uh, Neumeister is having a, a resurgence of popularity, you know, uh, 275 years after he wrote the hymn. <laughs> and uh, so that's always good if it can happen for a hymn writer. But um, Neumeister was uh, the son of a, um, a teacher and an organist. Um, he attended seminary at the University of Leipzig. And um, he, he was born in 1671, um, which made him about 35 years younger than a another very significant uh, Lutheran pastor at, um, of the period, uh, Philip Jakob Spener. And um, the reason why that's important is that Spener was the, the founder of a theological movement within Lutheranism called Pietism. And uh, it's interesting that um, Orthodox Lutherans rejected Pietism, but Pietism became wildly popular almost everywhere else. So right. um, uh, er um, Erdmann Neumeister was uh, not a fan of Pietism. Uh, he was very much in the tradition of Orthodox Lutheran theologians who thought that uh, purity of doctrine and um, paying attention to the objective nature of God's gifts uh, was of paramount importance. Um, and uh, the one of the things that I love about what he wrote is that it's not devoid of feeling, um, but it but it grounds all of the feelings uh, within the ob objective word of the gospel. Um, probably his most um, famous hymn is not this one, um, but uh, Jesus sinners doth receive. That's probably the one that um, more of our non-Lutheran listeners may be familiar with. Um, but uh, this this hymn, uh, God's Own Child, I Gladly Say It, uh, is a confession of a confession of and a rejoicing in uh, what the scriptures say about holy baptism. And uh, so I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's uh, five verses, um, at, at least in my hymnal, it's five verses. I don't know if it may have been longer initially. I wouldn't be surprised if many of these hymns were. Um, but uh, um, here's the first stanza. God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. He, because I could not pay it, gave my full redemption price. Do I need earth's treasures many? I have one worth more than any. That brought me salvation free, lasting to eternity. And uh, and so um, the uh, that, that kind of is typical of the entire hymn in that it, it gives something that we can rejoice in as Christians and then it ties it back uh, to baptism, but it also is in uh, the tradition of of certain hymns from this period that I like to just say, um, kick Satan in the face. Um, Lutherans <laughs> did a lot of these in the uh, 17th century. Uh, another example of this would be um, a little flock, fear not the foe, um, which uh, Lutherans uh, literally sang it as they rode into battle. Um, at the Battle of Lutzen, which was the pivotal battle at the end of the Thirty Years' War, which um, allowed Lutheranism to continue to exist. Um, and so um, the next three verses of, uh, um, of this hymn 
the second one is addressed to sin. The third is addressed to Satan. And the fourth is addressed to death. Basically mocking all three, saying that there's nothing that sin, um, Satan, or death um, can do uh, to take away um, our confidence in what God does for us through baptism. Um, hmm. And I, I mentioned before that I had uh, Linda's funeral uh, about a week ago. Uh, this was actually the hymn that she chose to be the opening hymn at her funeral. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'll read the, I'll read the one about death. Death, you cannot end my gladness. I am baptized into Christ. When I die, I leave all sad sadness to inherit paradise. Though I lie in dust and ashes, faith's assurance brightly flashes. Baptism has the strength divine to make life immortal mine. Um, so, um, very much uh, kind of an in-your-face um, hymn against uh, what we sometimes call the unholy trinity, sin, death, and the power of the devil. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and uh, I mean, and uh, verse three, uh, I'll just read th this one and then uh, we can talk about it a bit, but um, this one I like because it's actually uh, written like a, a sermon to Satan, a sermon that a Christian could preach to Satan. Um, Satan, hear this proclamation, I am baptized into Christ. Drop your ugly accusation. I am not so soon enticed. Now that to the font I've traveled, all your might has come unraveled, and against your tyranny, God, my Lord, unites with me. Hmm. Um, so I, I think the hymn kind of uh, speaks for itself. Um, one thing that I, I love about it, apart from the text, and I think you kind of could hear it a little bit in the recording that, that Drew played, um, but it is a very, um, very joy-filled hymn, especially if you've seen it fast um hmm. if you've seen it slow it doesn't work very well um the the pace on uh what we listened to was was close to what i would what i would use i i push it even a little faster than that um but if you uh if you do seen it quickly it really really dances because it's got a lot of um got a lot of eighth eighth notes um and and so you move through this text really quickly, um, mm. and uh, and it really uh, fills it with a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was gonna say for this hymn, um, I actually I don't I may have heard it. I don't I'm not quite sure. It's it's interesting that it caught um, popularity relatively recently. Um, I like that third verse where uh, basically, you know, I know you read part of it, but I just want to um, read the first part again. It says, Satan, hear this proclamation. I am baptized into Christ. Drop your ugly accusation. I am not so soon uh, enticed. And for me, it's like, so what would give someone or give a Christian the that type of confidence to be able to talk to the devil to his to his face and i think this picks up on a classic theme in, in lutheranism but i was going to say definitely luther's thought this that you have to look outside of yourself like you said um you have to look outside of yourself and look to the word and sacraments because that is where you will find christ you will find christ in the word of god and you will find christ in the sacrament i don't know if you um Charlie, if you you get ILT's uh, Institute of Lutheran Theology, I know you get their emails because we both study there. Um, and did you get the e recent email about Jack Kilcrease's recent book? Yeah, I did. Yeah, Jack. So Jack Kilcrease and um, regular listeners will definitely we we've uh, referenced him time to time, and he's been on the show twice. But uh, he wrote a book recently uh about the doctrine of justification um and 
uh, the, the email put a little blurb out about it saying the main premise of the book is that justification in both Catholic and Protestant theology has been too focused on how the person receives justification. And although most Protestants accept Luther's view that justification is received by faith, uh, this work argues that Luther would disagree with how they have applied uh, his principle. Um, and so basically saying that often Protestants, especially in the later waves of it, the Great Awakening, revivalism, uh, and especially in like North America, they focus so much on the interior when it comes to faith. Uh, and we see, you see this, we see, I know James has seen this um, in kind of his, you know, his experience in, in the broader American evangelical world. Um, and I know Stephen, who's not here, has, has seen it. You know, Stephen, I know in the last episode described every time he went to one, to a big, you know, parachurch event, um, you know, and they have the moment, the coming to Jesus moments. It's, you know, those, those, those events are to enliven and to boost your faith. But then Stephen said he would always come walking away or often he would come walking away. And these are his words. I mean, I saw, you know, you can, <laughs> Stephen, it, hopefully I'm applying this right of, of, you know, drawing a, drawing a, making the connection here, but, you know, Stephen would come away, away from these events feeling like, I have this flame. I don't want to let it blow out, you know, as almost as if it's something that you have to sustain and maintain or else it's going to blow out. Right. But faith really is not something, thank God, you know, it's not something we have to cultivate in that sense. Rather, faith is something we can look outside of ourselves. It is guaranteed for us, given to us purely and, um, constantly and, um, with full assurance in the word and in the sacrament. And I see so much of that echoed in this hymn. I mean, I just, I just looked up the five verses of, of it. And it's very much, I mean, Luther would constantly talk about looking outside of yourself, but also he, I can't, I, I, it's just dozens of times where he brings up the devil in his works and just, you know, looking the devil, you know, he always brings up the devil uh, in the nature of like, looking at him square in the face or just facing him head on and saying, you know, with full confidence and, um, that, you know, I'm not yours. You, you know, I, I do, I don't, you are nothing I have to fear, not because anything that came out of his own strength, but from pointing to Christ from which outside of himself to Christ, to the word and sacrament from which he draws that strength from. And so, and very much, I think this, to make full circle, this hymn being from, you said it was, uh, so what, what are the words? So it has connection to kind of that period of uh, 17th century Protestant orthodoxy. You said it, it had a type of connection to that. So um, the hymn was, the hymn was written um, when uh, pietism was really starting to take hold um, within Lutheranism. Right. And Pietism sought to to seat, you know, a certainty of salvation in 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 uh, emotiveness and yeah. feelings, rather than in the objective reality of what God does for us, you know, through the external word and the sacrament. Right. And uh, so, uh, Erdmann Neumeister was very much reacting against that Pietistic stream. Uh, that was really, really popular at the time. And and he was saying, well, sure, we can rejoice in the external reality of the gospel, what God has done for us, but um, our, our certainty um, is seated in the external word, not in uh, the feelings that we have um, in response to it. And so, yeah, you, I think you really nailed the kind of the focus here. Um, because one of the things we in, we have inherited from pietism is a lot of the language that we use to talk about faith. We'll, we'll talk about my faith. We'll say, I believe, you know, um, or sometimes even I feel, and then we'll say something that we believe. Or uh, we'll talk about faith as a, as a personal possession, my faith. Um, and all of this stuff is 
you know, foreign to the scripture. Mm -hmm. um, the, the scriptures don't talk about my faith. They talk about the faith. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they don't, they don't talk about, you know, faith as, um, as a feeling, you know, faith is an assent to what God has, um, has revealed to us through the scriptures and, you know, given us through the direct gift of the Holy Spirit, which we receive in the scriptures. Um, and so um, a lot of the way that we talk about faith in the modern world has its theological basis in exactly the sort of stuff that uh, Neumeister was reacting against. Right. Um, and I think that might be one of the reasons why um, this hymn is is loved by a lot of uh, Lutherans today is because it really does um, respond to a lot of the the bad stuff that we're encountering um, right now on a on a day to day basis. Yeah, it just reminded me when you were when you were talking when both of y'all were talking about um, a, a friend of the family who was raised Southern Baptist and and remained Southern Baptist. And I've had num a number of conversations with him where he is constantly worried that he's going to hell. And there is this soteriological anxiety because he always feels like, back to that emotivism, he always feels like he hasn't done enough to be pleasing to God. He feels like that, you know, sometimes he doesn't feel the faith enough for it to be real. Um, and this is something that is deeply problematic, I think, within um, American evangelicalism, not reformational evangelicalism, but but American evangelicalism, which is sort of the the brainchild of the Second Great Awakening and the abhorrent teachings of Charles Grandison Finney. And, um, you know, that's that's what we see a lot today where it's like, oh, worship was really meaningful today. I was really feeling it. Uh, I, I really felt worship today. I really felt what the priest was saying or the pastor was saying today. And that's exactly what I really don't want to hear. Like, I, I don't want to hear someone say, I enjoyed your message this morning, or I enjoyed your speech or sermon or whatever. Um, I'd rather hear that, uh, you know, you, you preach the gospel and praise God for that. Um, you know, something that's more meaningful. Um, so what this comes across to me as is a hymn of God's assurance that he has given to us in baptism. And, um, you know, like I, what I said in the, in the, the episode with Mark Mattis was what I really, I, I've, I've ruminated on this since, but what I really wish would be in the Episcopal baptismal service would be a quotation from Isaiah 43. I have called you by name. You are mine. Um, because that's what baptism is. It's God's, um, God's calling you by name and claiming you as his own, adopting you as his child. And just like in the legal system, adoption doesn't, you know, disintegrate if you do something that, that, uh, your your father doesn't like, <laughs> right. um, you know. So so it's something that is when God calls you by name and says you are mine. Um, Jesus says in John's Gospel, no one can pluck them from my hand. Um, and so you can deride Satan. You can say to Satan, you know, what was what was one of my favorite things that Luther said that he would say to Satan: "Crap in your pants and wear them around your neck." Um, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that kind of thing you can, you can chide and deride sin, death and the devil like Paul and Romans, um, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? Um, you know, and, uh, it's funny you mentioned the, uh, I was just thinking for myself and kind of my own personal experience, kind of that soteriological angst that, you see prevalent in the American evangelicalism. Do you also, this question, I mean, kind of more for James, and maybe both of you have seen this, you know, I, I've seen some of this in, you know, especially with this emphasis on my faith, 
you know, how is, how is my faith? How is your faith? You know, I see some of this in the uh, spiritual direction movement that um, the Episcopal church has been, been big on and, and mainline Protestantism. And also, you know, at least a lot of 20th century uh, Roman Catholicism. Um, and I've, you know, normally Episcopal in the Episcopal church where, you know, spiritual directors are, are people that, uh, you know, clergy where we are to meet with and to, uh, uh, on, on a periodic basis. And, and I've, I've had, I've had some struggles with that. I've gone through a few people, uh, last person I've talked with was, was, was a great guy. And, um, but I've just, I, I've, I've struggled kind of with that. Cause I've always felt like it became a very subjective interior, um, you know, it, it, it almost, you know, it became like being lost in your subjective interior uh, faith. And, and it's not the faith that Charlie was referring to. Um, that is our, um, that is our assurance, you know, that is our, um, that, that we, that we can find certainty in. I mean, right. James, have you ever felt any of that kind of in the, in the spiritual direction? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, this so so I, I've had the same spiritual director for nine years and, and I, I really like him a lot. Um he uh he and I disagree fundamentally about a number of things, I'm sure, but spiritual direction is sort of for him and for me a way to examine how God is at work right. um in, in my life. So there is an individualistic focus. Um, as you might expect, but I don't think that it's so focused on that kind of emotionalism, that kind of, are you really feeling the spirit lately? Um, yeah. Type mentality. Yeah. And I wonder if that's so distinctly such a modern phenomenon and like American in an American thing. And I wonder if it's, if it almost, uh, we've just, it doesn't matter where you come from you you drank that in right yeah and so we bring that perhaps to... well, it's just it's just a it's just a rebirth of the of, of enthusiasm of the schwarmery yeah I whatever have you pronounce it my german's not very good um but yeah i mean and and that is just warmed over montanism from mm -hmm. from the early church um Right. It's the idea that the spirit uh, speaks to you, even sometimes ecstatically, but even um, enlightening you in, in you know, um, yeah, it's <laughs> apart well, and, from, and, and often, apart from, especially, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, apart from the word and sacrament where that um, that feeling of oneness with Christ is to be is to be um, experienced, you know? Yeah. It's it, you know in, in American uh, American religious thought it's the Quaker inner light it's the mm -hmm. idea that God speaks to you in special revelation and that that special revelation can be authoritative and today what we often see is that God's word is assailed against by supposed special revelation that um, that that can trump God's word um, in Scripture. Yeah. And that's something that's particularly prevalent within the Episcopal Church um, and within mainline Protestantism in general. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that is that is the that is the the sheer opposite of the external word that we receive from God in Scripture. It's the internal word that is always going to be, um, you know, we, we like to attribute the things that we hear in our heads to the Holy Spirit. But, uh, you know, most of those things are going to be curved in on ourselves. So are um, you saying American evangelicals and, and mainline Protestants have way more in common than than we often think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They're they're the opposite sides of the same coin. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, they vote differently, probably. But <laughs> yeah, that's the extent of where their differences are. I'm just kidding. I don't mean to be. But yeah, um, people know where we stand. They won't be yeah. by what we're saying here. Um, I guess we'll move on. I know we're, um, you know, uh, intending on a shorter episode. And so um, James and I are both doing the same hymn. After I, I play the bit, 
James will let you speak to it first, and I'll add uh, the thoughts um, that I have or may have. <laughs> so, okay. uh, sure. Sounds and good. our hymn is What Wondrous Love Is This? I know we're not supposed to be talking about feelings, but I just got all the feels from that playing. So <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, it is a, it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. And it's very nostalgic for me because we would sing it in church frequently and, and growing up in the South, it's a Southern tune. It's a Southern folk hymn. Um, so it's something that transcends just, just the Episcopal church, right? It did, it did not even start off as an Episcopal hymn. We like to claim it. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of good stuff that we like to claim was not written by Episcopalians. <laughs> um, and a lot of bad stuff was, but that's a separate issue. So uh, the, the text for What Wondrous Love Is This was first published in 1811. It, um, some of the, uh, the impetus for it um, pertain to or related to the um, the second great awakening. So it was a, it was first published in Lynchburg, Virginia in a camp meeting songbook called a general selection of the newest and most admired hymns and spiritual songs now in use, which uh, I'm glad that we've decided to shorten our titles of books in, in the <laughs> most recent days. Um, but it is uh, something that's often sung in what's called a shape note or sacred harp. Um, and that is, I think it has its own beauty to it as well. You can look it up on YouTube and find a shape note version of this. Um, but it, it does relate to the second great awakening. So it's, it's, um, it's almost self-defeating for, for, for me to mention, um, this hymn or speak about this hymn, especially after I was just deg uh, degrading, uh, Charles Grandison Finney and I was going to say not to cut in, but we were just uh, talking, you know, you know, about the great awakening and the problems with it, but there were good things that came out of it. And I think for this one, it's perhaps pietism at its best, right? When it's heavy, sure. when it meditates on right. The action of love of God through Christ for us. Right which is outside of ourselves, but, but meditating on what it means for us. And I think that's what pietism is at. It's truly is at its best. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, Anglican expressions of pietism like Methodism or the older Puritanism um, when they're at their best do this well. Um, I just read last year, a book called gentle and lowly by um, a Presbyterian pastor, Dane Ortland, which is an absolutely phenomenal book that gets to the heart of the Puritan understanding of justification. And it's that Jesus has a heart for and love for sinners. Um, and that is, I think, again, pietism, Puritanism, Methodism, um, second great awakening theology at its best. What happens after that is where we start having some trouble. And so that's why I think that the the text of this hymn is particularly helpful. But before that, just another comment. Um, this is a folk hymn. There is no universal authorial attribution. One hymnal attributed to a Methodist pastor named Alexander Means. But it is a hymn that is about love, about praise of God, and a hymn about eternal life. And I think that those are three things that dovetail fairly well with uh, what Charlie was saying in his hymn. Um, but 
this is a short hymn, at least the version that we have in our hymnal is short. So I will I'll go ahead and read all three verses uh, if that's all right, because uh, they're it's pretty short, like I said. So the first verse, what wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul? What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to lay aside his crown for my soul, to lay aside his crown for my soul? So it's a hymn about the love of God. It's not a hymn about the sort of tautological expression of love today. Um, love is love, as you sometimes hear in public. Um, it's love as rightly understood, which is the love that God has for us, the love enough to take on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, live among us, die for us, and rise again for us. It's a hymn that is, this hymn is, is about extolling the love that God has for us, the love that God has for humanity in Christ Jesus. So already, that's a great way of starting a hymn. The second verse, to God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, who is the great I am, while millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. So right there, we're, we're drawn into the throne room scene, Revelation chapter 5, where uh, God is on the throne and the Lamb is there, and uh, the, the elders and the four living creatures are singing hymns of praise to, um, to God and to the Lamb. And it's a recognition that God and the Lamb, um, He is the I Am. Um, it is it is a representation of or a a, a way of showing um, the reality of the Trinity um, and the oneness of uh, of, of um, the relationship of Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father. Sure, I probably just lapsed into a heresy. Go ahead and virtually slap me across the face if you need to, Charlie. I'm a little tired. As I said, I didn't get much does sleep. Zoom, does Zoom have a slap button? I don't know. It has a hand button. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I but if I if if I say to heresy, I don't believe it. Um, I I I, uh, I I firmly adhere to the Orthodox faith. Um, uh, so it's a hymn about praise, right? It's it's a hymn about singing praise to to God, um, which is of course very very important. Um, and then uh, the third verse is, and when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. So, of course, um, when we die, as we say in the Episcopal funeral service, death, uh, in death, life is changed, not ended. Um, we, we, uh, we talk about the reality that the resurrection is the hope that we have. Um, and so in the resurrection from the dead, uh, when we are in the presence of God and the new creation for all eternity, our natural tendency, our natural desire will be to sing the praises of God forever. Um, and so I think that's, that's just beautiful. It's, it's the same as the last verse of amazing grace, um, which I know has its uh, has its issues here and there, but it's still one of my favorites. Um, and the last thing I'll say uh, before I finish, there's a there's a neat connection between this hymn and my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. The hymnal that it was published in, from which the hymnal 1982 for the the Episcopal Church um, drew it from, the Southern Harmony is called. It was the Southern Harmony was. Um, the, the three-part harmony for this was printed in the Southern Harmony and was arranged by James Christopher of Spartanburg, South Carolina. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so I'll turn it over for conversation. Well, uh, since this is also my hymn, I don't have much to add. Um, I, I think you, you said it so well and said it beautifully, but um, it, it's one of those hymns for me. I just get lost in it. Uh, and I say that in a good way. I get, I find myself, out of myself when that hymn is playing. I've also I've often heard it played um as a communion hymn. Uh usually, I mean, Lent or well, especially Passion Week mm -hmm. seems uh, tends to be 
the most appropriate you could say time liturgically to 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 hear this hymn but also i mean it really pertains to i think throughout the christian year oh yeah uh, because it's so central it it, it touches is a, is a meditative hymn on such the central central point of christianity of god's uh action of love for us through christ right his passion and in his death and um it's it's it's, it's such a contrast <laughs> in in its prose and its language to the the hymn charlie spoke which is um you know with those 17th century hymns they were very much about um the the language is very doctrinal but not in like a, a stale codified way it was very much literally setting doctrine to music and often it was done so well and so geniusly i think but um yeah. And like I said, when, when Charlie was stepped away, you can listen to it later. I think this hymn, for coming out of the revival, it actually represents the best, you know, pietism when it's at its best, right? When it's uh, simply reflecting on uh, something and not, um, but not getting, not turning faith into some completely subjective thing. The speaking of, of, of God's, God's real love from coming from outside. Right. And, uh, so yeah, but the the tune and is so beautiful and and the text yeah it's it's so different because it's just like repetitive. It's I will sing, I will sing, I will sing. It, it there's not many words to this. There's like literally like thirty words in the whole hymn. So it's maybe akin to a modern contemporary worship song. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but right. it's just it's but it comes. I mean, it, it comes from. It's kind of the mystique of where it comes from, of this um, kind of folk you know hard to determine who the author is i mean th th this was the the music of common people um so it is a repetitive and it's it's but it would they would sing it for consolation and they would sing it over and over again to get through their day and through their labors and just the spirit of that that this tune and text really do both together bring i think is powerful the best um you know, I've you I was YouTubing this hymn, um, you know, in prep for this episode, and and I've always enjoyed. And I'll put it uh, in the show notes. I'll put uh, in a link to for our people to listen. But there's a YouTube link of Saint Olaf Olaf's choir, Saint Olaf College's choir, doing this hymn, hmm. and it is one of the most beautiful versions, I guess, of this hymn that I've I've heard. Just the um, uh, just the different um, sections and and how they how they sing this. Uh, there's uh, there's a few versions that I just don't like. I'm not into um, Chelsea Moon and the Franz Brothers did kind of an acoustic version, and Blue Highway did a acapella bluegrass version, which usually I would I usually like drawn to that kind of music. I'm a big bluegrass fan. Me too. Uh, but I uh, for some reason I just couldn't. <laughs> I, I can't from the, the 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 a choral version of this song for me is where it's at. I just can't do uh, some of those. Have versions. you heard Have you heard the version done by Josh Garrels? I've not no, but I'll check it's, it out. It's really good. It's it's got. I think it. I think it sort of does the does it in a folksy, but not like not like spirited, but folksy, like very very deep. Uh, deep understanding of the words itself kind of that's what i mean by that um but but yeah josh garrell's version is really good okay text me that because um yeah. i'm gonna put that in the show notes i'm gonna check it out myself um, sure yeah I, it's a beautiful hymn it, it's i just love it so thank you it's it's good yeah uh so yeah we're done um i mean we're not done because because charlie if you want to weigh in on uh, I know well, this is yeah, this, this, this is in your hymnal, right? Um, it is. It oh, is. Um, it's not one of my favorites, but I do enjoy it. And I don't think, I I don't think I would say that it's pietism at its best because I don't think it's pietism at all. Um, <laughs> right. It 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 doesn't. It doesn't seat, uh, the certainty of salvation in what we feel. It's simply an example of how we respond uh, to the certainty of salvation in right. an emotional way. 
-hmm. I mean, so I, I mean, I, I don't think that it falls into the trap of pietism, um, just because it talks about our feelings. Um, and in fact, uh, I, I, I love the emphasis on music in it because, um, I remember when I was a pastor in Maryland, I had a few people who would say, well, we just don't sing pastor, um, because they didn't think they were good enough at it or whatever. Um, and I said, um, <laughs> I said to them, well, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because heaven is filled with music. Um, and so um, I'm a big fan of, of that emphasis in this hymn. That's probably my, uh, my, my favorite aspect of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know whether to episode, whether to name the episode heaven is filled with music or what you said earlier, Charlie, when we were talking about your hymn about something about punching the devil, not punching the devil. You said something. I'm going to go back and listen to it. I know James said deriding the devil. Mm -hmm. um, whatever it was, it'll make for a good title. So, <laughs> <laughs> But heaven is full of music, uh, filled with music. And so um, that is a great note uh, to, well, because we're about to end, to end on, but um, whether it ends up as a title or not, uh, that is very true. <laughs> so... <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, awesome hymn, and I guess uh, for our listeners, um, thanks for tuning in. This is a shorter episode than usual, especially when we do these series, because we usually have, you know, uh, more of us, and we have a more lengthier discussion. But um, we will have our fourth in the series, uh, I imagine, within a month or so. And um, yeah, we will, uh, for our listeners, uh, we look forward to, to uh, you tuning in again and you enjoying this episode. So God bless.